Right, so we're hoping this morning that we've got some uh, other technology things sorted. I think my video might be a little bit grainy, but hopefully my sound uh, is decent enough. So I'm just going to try and get this PowerPoint up. There we go. So hopefully you can now also see the PowerPoint along with me. Amazing. So yeah, this morning, oh, it's not quite there. It's it's coming. We're working on it. Uh, so this morning, um, we're going to be looking uh, at James chapter four, as, as James just introduced us to. Uh, and uh, there's there's some really challenging things written in this in this section. There's a lot uh, for us to kind of ponder and to think on, and a lot of really good challenges uh, as to kind of how we are living and how we might um, kind of approach that relationship with God. So this morning uh, we'll kind of do a little bit of a brief run through of, uh, of all those things. So I'm just going to read the, the passage that we are speaking from this morning. Uh, Dave, is the PowerPoint up? Yeah, perfect. So hopefully you can see the um, hopefully you can see the slide. And so this is what we're reading from James chapter four, verses one through to six. And I'm reading from the ESV translation. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, good God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So they, these verses start by exploring kind of a theme of tension. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? It begins by asking uh, this question direct to the believers that were reading this, that were engaging with James at this time. And it's asking them what is creating this internal strife uh, and what's creating this discord within the Christian communities. And I think there, there's something here that obviously is speaking to, to the believers then and there, and we need to consider that and understand that. But there's obviously these amazing principles that apply and transcend time and speak directly to us this morning. Uh, and it, it's really getting us to think about what is it that is causing some of this internal stuff that goes on? What is it that causes some of these crawls and the tension and the, the sense of feeling like you're going to explode? And the thing that I think really struck me this week as I've been preparing this and looking at this is that strife and discord comes through partnering 
with the world. God is the God of harmony and peace. And the opposing kingdom, the kingdom that this world often subscribes to, uh, is speaking of something different. The enemy is uh, an enemy that creates discord. He creates friction. He creates the fraying of the knots. And the first two verses of this passage accurately demonstrate this. And I just want to read them again to you, but this time from the Passion Translation, uh, just giving a, a, a different kind of language to that. What is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? You jealously want what others have. So you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy and harm others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. I think these verses demonstrate that it's the self-seeking ways. Whenever we partner out of jealousy, whenever it's because we're, we're acting out of jealousy or acting out of a sense of I want to better myself over those people or I want what they have, I, I'm jealous over what, what they have. And it's from those kind of attitudes and those kind of ways that strife and discord form. And it's as we begin to meet our own desires and our own passions, forgetting what God has called us to and forgetting also what God is doing in us and forgetting about others that we begin to see some of this strife and discord arriving, arising. And so why do I think that James uses this as the way of kind of opening a little introduction about choosing friendship with God, about being friends with God? Well, I think it's because James is so practical in the advice that he gives. We've heard it throughout all the other talks up until this point. And I think he's demonstrating it again today. All the advice he gives is extraordinarily practical. He is giving advice uh, about how we live our lives, about how we approach uh, life in general. And here in this example, I think what we're seeing is James kind of encouraging us to to see what is going on in our lives currently, to see where it is that people sometimes use the word root, where it is the roots of some of our difficulties are coming from and how we might go about changing those things or how we might go about seeing God's kingdom come. And he draws upon the expanse of scripture to speak uh, of the narratives that he's talking about. And so exactly here in verse one or two, he's drawing upon the expanse of scripture to speak of this narrative of strife and discord and highlight then principles following that on how we counteract. And I think uh, for me, one of the things that's really struck me as I've kind of read through this and, I, and I've looked through uh, some of the other kind of scriptural accounts that I think James would have known about and drawn upon is just a real sense that God's heart has always been for peace. God's heart has always been for unity, but that doesn't mean, and this is kind of like an aside that I really felt God wanting to speak, that doesn't mean we always have to agree. Agreement and disagreement doesn't necessarily mean that people are right or wrong, and disagreement doesn't have to be through strife and discord. We can learn to, to disagree well. We can learn to disagree amicably and still remain friends, still remain in community. start of scripture in the book of Genesis and the reason I want to do this is 
I drew upon this kind of scriptural account in my last talk from James, uh, and it was really beautiful to kind of see how, as James continued, the same kind of principles uh, carried out too. And so in my last talk, what I highlighted was that Adam and Eve had fallen to the deceit. They had fallen to the deceit of the world, the deceit as given to them by the serpent. And that changed the narrative that they were experiencing uh, with God in the garden. It meant they had to leave the Garden of Eden and it meant their whole life and lifestyle changed. And because of this encounter with the serpent, with maybe what we would often term as kind of a worldly value or worldly perspective, their narrative changed. And then I think we see that impact the rest of the story of Genesis and the rest of the story throughout Scripture, the rest of our history. This narrative changed because they were no longer in this kind of covenantal relationship as it was intended with God. And back there, what I think we see is we see this internal strife beginning. We see this discord arising and we see this discord arising within a marital union because what you have here is as soon as God entered the garden, Adam blamed Eve in an attempt to kind of save face with God, to, to kind of bolster himself and shift the blame away from the part that he played in it as well. And therefore, this had a lasting consequence, a generational consequence. And all we have to do then is jump from Gen- uh, Genesis 3, which is where that account is, through to Genesis 4 and the story of Cain and Abel and this changing narrative. And so I'm going to have the scripture up on screen with us as well, reading from the the English Standard Version again. So Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Edom.
Okay, thanks. Dave's just let me know that we're still on the title slide. So I'm sorry that we uh, haven't caught all the way through um, up to that. So my, my apologies on on that. We'll, we'll leave the PowerPoint for today. We gave it a go. Technology didn't quite work, but that's all right. So the, this, this passage from Genesis, I think, so beautifully depicts um, what, what James is talking about there in the first two verses of James chapter four. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Here in this account from Genesis, what we are seeing is Cain's passion, Cain's jealousy overtaking him so much so that he would go on to murder his brother. And as a result of the actions that Cain, Cain took, there were then further consequences. There was an escalation of the situation. There, there, there was a, almost a sense of it running away with him. And as a result of Cain giving into his own desires, his jealous ways, Cain ended up having to leave God's presence. But I think what's beautiful about the Genesis passage is it's not a sense of being banished from God's presence in any sense. I think it was a punishment that Cain took upon himself. He says, I have to leave your presence. I have to wander this earth. I'm going to become a wanderer. So much so that he left God's presence. He left the place uh, of being with God. And then we later see uh, in chapter four of Genesis that Adam and Eve end up bearing another son whom they call Seth and on whom they recognize that there is a, a given appointment, a God appointment upon him. And they recognize that God has given them another son as a result of what Cain had done, as a result of Cain's actions, his selfish, self-seeking ways. That They have received another blessing in the form of Seth. And as the story of Genesis continues, you may know that we then end up encountering Noah and the flood. And it's at this point, unfortunately, Cain's lineage ends. His lineage ends up with a tragic story as they are wiped out in the flood. And Noah, being Seth's descendant, ends up being uh, the, the appointed person on which God begins to rebuild the, the earth at that point. Cain made his choice in the scripture. And I believe he chose the way of the world. He chose his ways. He chose his selfish desires over God's way, over a sense of being with God and over a sense of choosing that relationship with God. And for that, there were lasting consequences. So what are we to do then? What is it that James shows us? How is it that we can avoid the stories of Cain and Abel? Not that we're going to go out there and, and murder anyone, but how is it that we can avoid the same traps of kind of the self-seeking, the selfish ways? Well, I believe it comes down in the end to a choice. And I think this is what James is stressing in these six verses. He's presenting us here with kind of two starkly opposing or starkly different realities, two different kingdoms and ways of life. And it's clear it's choosing God's way or not. Who is it that we will actually choose to listen to? Which kingdom is it that we will partner with? And I think James uses really serious, strong language when presenting this to the believers and presenting this to us. In reading uh, the language that he's using, it's kind of a, a strong imagery and metaphor. We read here in verse four how James equates this with adultery. Verse four, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity 
is God. You adulterous people. In a lot of earlier texts, it uses the, the word you adulteresses. Um, and part of this, people have argued, is not actually as a sense of speaking into sexual immorality, but actually likening what the believers and what the church uh, can do in their covenant relationship, that they still have a choice. And actually, if they choose their self-seeking ways, if they choose to follow the way of the world, it is like an adulterous relationship. They are um, it, they are committing adultery on this covenant relationship that they have with God. And so in this way, it is us that are being called the adulterous of God, if we use that language that we see crop up a lot in terms of the bride of Christ. We are that adulterous figure when we choose the way of the world. We are having an affair and a holy relationship with the world when, in fact, we are meant to be in this covenant relationship with God. Now, that might sound really strong. It might sound uh, quite a challenge in some respects as well. But I think James is putting this quite plainly and clearly here as just as a practical bit of advice of just going this you know, this is metaphorically what it looks like. This is what happens. But it doesn't end there. There is hope. There is a way. And it's choosing God's way. It's choosing relationship. Now, I don't know about you, but I find relationships tricky. They're not plain sailing. They're not easy. There's no rule book to them. And up until the point of the New Testament, the Israelites saw the scripture that they had as a, a rule book. And if they kept and they abided by this rule book, then they would be fine. They would be seen uh, as a friend of God. They would be in this covenant relationship, and that's all they had to do. But if you're anything like me, you'll know that relationships aren't just a set of rule books. There's no easy uh, way to kind of navigate a relationship. And I think this is what James is drawing us to here. It's drawing us back to that place of relationship where we're looking past uh, a set of rules and a set of things that we have to abide and live by. Yes, they're great. And actually, they are set on purpose for us for a reason. But there's something more than just keeping rules. There's something about relationship where when we hold to relationship, we are doing things out of a place of love or we're doing things out of a place of friendship rather than out of a have to and a must. We are choosing to do that because we want to do that for that person, for that relationship. And verse five, I think, equally goes on. Verse five, I think, equally goes on to tell us just how strong God's love is for us as well. And we'll um, we'll just we'll see whether the PowerPoint um, will uh, come pull up here. We've got some, uh, or I've got some pictures that I think might help us um, see this. So we've got God's way or my way. It's a sense of being called to radical obedience. And the language here in verse five, I think, really beautifully paints this. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? That verse might sound really complicated. It might sound really confusing, but it's basically showing that God is a jealous lover. He tells us that his spirit is jealous for us. And when his spirit resides in us, He's jealous over us. He has this love for us. He is jealous for us. And there are many other places throughout scripture that also equate God's uh, love with jealousy. And this was a common thread and a theme 
that the Jewish community would have understood, that James would have understood and known. So I think what he's drawing on here is that principle, that sense of the overall theme that scripture says, because we don't have a text that accurately is quoted here from James. But I think what he's doing is summarizing the themes, the threads of God's love to Israel and God's love to his people. God's love yearns for us jealously, and as a result, I believe it also then convicts us when we wander away from him or we choose uh, to enter into kind of a, a different way or our, or our own path. And I think this is the principle that James is applying here, that when we choose God's way, when we are choosing after God, it begins to become clear when things don't always line up or when uh, you know, I chose wrong there or, or it, this was actually out of my own self-seeking desires there's almost like this conviction that falls on us but it's not a conviction of, of condemnation it's a conviction filled with grace which we'll get onto just as i close with verse six so i wonder this morning how many of us resonate similarly with what james is saying and the analogies that he is using do we maybe have those same kind of Holy Spirit niggles where it's that sense of a grace conviction on us of, oh, I, I got that slightly wrong or I, I chose that out of my own selfish ways? Because I don't know about you again, but in relationship, I certainly know when I do that with my friends, with my family, with Alice. I know when it's like, oh, I chose that out of my own selfish ways. I chose that for me rather than in relationship for us. And so here this morning, I think there is that big question for us. Do we recognise those niggles? Do we resonate with what it is that James is saying? We maybe have that kind of unsettled feeling deep down that leaves us possibly feeling dissatisfied or, or wholly unwhole when we choose our own way. Because I think that is in and of itself a God sign, a God conviction that maybe that was from a different place than with God. And I think what he wants is he wants us back with himself walking in truth. And scripture is a story of God reconciling his people back to him and back to the place where we are walking in step with him. And this picture, if you can see it, I'm, I'm not sure if it's up there on the screen, but the, the, the picture at the bottom of the screen, I thought so beautifully pictured this. We know Jesus picked up his cross. He took up his cross to lay down his life for us. And here you've got a row. It goes right there through into the distance. You've got a row of saints. We are the saints picking up their cross to follow Jesus. And I think the, the beautiful picture of this is so often we can hear this, you know, lay down your life, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And, and maybe it doesn't quite resonate with us. Maybe it seems what does that even mean? Does it mean I have to, you know, go and die on a hill somewhere hanging on this cross? Not at all. There are some Christians that are called martyrdom. In fact, it's called a, a spiritual gift. But the, the picture, I think, here of what it means to pick up our cross is it's about laying down our ways, filling it another way. They're thrown to each of our lives. Who is it that sat on it? Is it us that sat on the throne of our life or is it God that sat on the throne of our life? Because when we can allow God to sit on that throne, that is when we are picking up our cross and following Jesus. And it's this term here, radical obedience. Again, that might sound 
a lot or something quite unobtainable, but that is simply it. Radical obedience is following Jesus, choosing God's way. It's going, actually, God, yours is one way, and I'm going to follow that. I'm going to go where your road, where your path leads me. My way, I can choose countless things here, but I want to choose what it is that you want. I want to choose what's best in your kingdom. And so this is the option we're presented with throughout Scripture and made clear here by James that friendship with God is a choice. Friendship with God is laying down our self-seeking ways, our own passions, our own desires and saying, God, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to learn what this relationship looks like and you may have heard me talk a little bit about my journey with God over the last couple of years before for those of you that are tuning into three counties for the first time over this season you may not have heard this or tuning in from overseas uh, yeah you probably won't have heard this but God took me on on this journey which I, I've ended up turning kind of turning and unraveling but over the combination of this the the key thing that God kept saying to me was relearn relationship and I was given this image of uh, of a porch and I term it the good old-fashioned kind of American style porch where you've got the the wooden uh, porch area huge with the rocking chairs and everything and it was this place where I felt God called me back to come and sit with him and he says you've been out in the town doing so much up until now and it's all good it's all good stuff but it's not here with me it's not what I'm calling us in relationship to do and my wife and I, Alice and I, this is a word we've been sensing we've had to operate under and we still are sensing we are operating under that sense of being back on the porch with God. And it's messy. It means at times we're hearing the call of God saying, come back up the stairs, you're beginning to wander again, or just come sit down with me, stop pacing the porch, or saying something has come onto the porch and we're going to deal with it together. And it's this beautiful but no kind of exact rule relationship but this is where i want to leave us this morning this sense of a choice that we have james highlights for us in verse six but he gives more grace therefore it says god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble god gives more grace it's in this grace conviction that we can kind of navigate our relationship with him and it's under this place of grace that we find life and freedom and what we all we have to do what we have to do is humble ourselves before god and i think it's again that picture of who sat on the throne of our lives have we laid down uh, our life picked up our cross to follow him and then we get the scenes uh, as hopefully you can see in these pictures of the dancing of the, the of the friendship and um, this is from a series called the chosen Many of you may have heard me and Alice talk about that, or many of you may have seen it yourself. But there's this beautiful picture here of the wedding. This is the wedding that we hear about where Jesus transformed water into wine. And there's this huge celebration going on. There's this huge sense of friendship of just being. And it's from this place of friendship with God that we are called into what I think is the best adventure we can ever go on in life. Sometimes it looks like our way seems way more exciting but I can say from my 11 years walking with Jesus that this has been the best adventure I have ever set foot on it's taken me places I never would have imagined and this friendship with God is unlike anything else yes I get it wrong at times yes I realize when I'm choosing my way when I'm being self-seeking but under that grace conviction 
and then under that place of humility where I come back before God and I lay that down. I say, sorry, I choose your way again, God. We get up and go again. We walk again. And it's like I picture it almost as with friends when there's sometimes that bit of discord, whereas there is sometimes that that uh, strife going on between us. But then you get that moment where you sit down and you talk it out or you, or you head on out for a walk together, obviously looking a little bit different in this current season of lockdown. But once you begin to talk about it, once you begin to smile again together, once you begin to say sorry, you just pick up again, you keep going, you just keep on in that friendship. And this is what it's like with God. There isn't like a hard and fast, you're out, you've done too bad, you've chosen your way too much. You're out. It's every day choosing this friendship again. Friendship does come at a cost. It is a life of radical obedience, choosing God over the world. And it can at odds, it can at odds, it can at times put us at odds, I think, with the world of what the world is saying, of what the world um, is choosing. It can put us at odds with the narrative that the world is expounding at that time. But oh my gosh, is it a world, a world, uh, sorry, a life that is worth us following, a life worth us living. It is an absolute adventure. And so to close, there's uh, just a few questions that I really felt God lay on my heart that maybe will resonate for some of you today and if you're going to be jumping on um, the church zoom call at the end or if you're going to be uh, or if you're thinking of contacting the church office we'd love to kind of follow up some of these conversations with you we'd love to hear what it is that maybe god is speaking or god has nudged you through these uh, through these questions and i think these questions are relevant for us whether we've been walking with jesus from before we can remember or whether we, there's a distinct point we went, yeah, I chose Jesus. Even maybe for some of us listening today when we're not even sure if we've made that commitment, God is still calling and speaking to us today. He's still calling us to a life of adventure and a life of friendship. And so these are the questions. What is God calling you to today? And what do you choose, God's way or not? And going back to that uh, image, maybe you can see it again. I hope it will have popped up of the signs, God's way, next exit, no exit, my way. Which one is it that we choose? What is it that God is calling to you to? Which road is it that you can see? Because all we need to do is enter into that choice of friendship with God, say yes to Jesus. We enter into that radical obedience and we follow him. So I'm just going to close by praying and hand back to Dave. So Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus into this world that we might have relationship with him. I thank you that we can enter into this relationship, this adventure, this journey, because of what you've done. And I thank you, Father, that you are after our hearts, you are after the meth, you are after whatever it looks like with us that you're not after a clean kind of concise look, but you are after just that friendship, that everyday, day-to-day friendship with us. And so Jesus, today, I myself reaffirm, yes, I choose to you, I choose your way, and I choose to follow you. And so I'm just going to finish by praying that out again. And if that's something you want to pray again today, whether for the first time or 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 the 10th or 100th time, I just encourage you to pray that through 
uh, as I'm praying out aloud or in your heart. And we'd love to hear from you and hear what it is that God has said and spoken to you. So, Father, yes, we, we choose you. We say thank you for all that you've done. We say sorry when we've chosen our way, when we've chosen our self-seeking ways, our own passions and desires of yours. And we lay that down this morning, humbly coming before your throne. And we say we want to follow you again. We want to walk out hand in hand in this friendship with you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.